All right, welcome to Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and figure out what other movies inspired it. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about a really fun movie. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to remind you all, if you haven't yet, make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on whatever your podcast app of choice is. You can get us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, yada, 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 all those podcast apps that you love to listen to podcasts on. You could also rate and review us on iTunes. That would be awesome. And you could just get in touch with us by following us on social media at piecing pod i'd love to hear what you're thinking of the show uh let us know if we left off any possible puzzle pieces for this particular movie or any of the other movies we have covered here on the show so uh with that said i'm going to kind of like just jump right into it today because we got a really great conversation i've got david quinones back with me again my buddy from the other podcast that i do bird road which will actually be back in october we took a month off in september and I saw a whole bunch of movies in September, so it's probably a good thing we took that time off. But uh, we're going to be talking today about Mandy from director Panos Cosmatos. This is a movie you may have heard of. You may have heard that it is Nicolas Cage at his absolute Nicolas Cageiness ever, or in a long time at least. And normally when I get that, uh, that promise, I end up getting let down. But... I'm really happy to report that I was not let down this time. Uh, Mandy is a wild movie, and as you'll get to hear as we get into the conversation, it's a great movie. Um, it's a story of a couple who are living this blissful existence in uh, the middle of the forest until a crazy religious cult comes and destroys everything, forcing Nicolas Cage to uh, take action. And murder a lot of people <laughs> let's put it that way um but more than anything it is a beautifully shot movie uh it looks like some kind of a dream it is really unique it's really interesting and it was a lot of fun to talk about with david quinones let's jump into the conversation Back on the show again, we've got David Quinones. David Quinones is back in the house. On the show. How you doing, dude? We're doing it. This is not only the piecing first time we recorded Piecing It Together in a while. It's the first time them bird boys have been on the mic in quite a while. Oh, them boys. You know how them boys do. <laughs> hey, well, come on. <laughs> you know how them boys do. You know how it is. You know how it be. Um, first things first at the top of the show I would like to apologize to you I accept your uh, (laughs) wait I thought you were going to propose Q wanted to do this Mandy episode for a while now but um, another one of our co-hosts Ryan Ryan... out of the theaters at this point (laughs) (laughs) well I was never really in the theaters because it's such a limited release um and it's actually, I think that what we're recording this, it's going to be in Miami this weekend. It should go up on Friday. So if you're listening to this, it's in theaters in Miami. But um, yeah, Ryan Darty, uh, I was replacing you with him to do this episode because he is uh, piecing it together as resident Nicolas Cage expert. Um, he even helps run a uh, a Cage Fest thing up in uh, where where he lives. And so I thought he would be like the perfect uh, one for it. But he did not get to see it under the right conditions to really uh, make notes and have opinions, and uh, so I came crawling back to you. And yeah, we well, are. Ryan is a vicious snowflake. 
as uh, <laughs> as Red Miller says in this uh, wonderful film that we're reviewing, or I guess deconstructing or reconstructing here today. I like it. However, I got in and it, dude. I don't care. You know what? Nobody asks. You know how nobody asks how you began the season. They ask how you finished it. it, uh-huh. it did Did you finish in the winner's circle? And guess what? Uh-huh. In the Mandy uh, marathon, I'm the one that did. So you're the boy. You're the big I'm the boy. absolute boy. <laughs> and you, you're just meat without a soul, without a brain, without anything. Animal. So what I was going to say. Everlasting. No, no radiant light. I possess hallucinations you will never know. I feel like these are actual dialogue lines from Jeremiah Sand, but I'm not sure. They are. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you, you always come well-researched for these episodes. That's what I like yeah. about having you on. Yeah. Well, to be fair, your bar is insanely low. <laughs> I am not going to argue that point with you whatsoever. Like, if somebody shows up kind of sober for a guest spot on your show, they're ahead of the curve. If they've seen the trailer, they're, they're in. If they you just saw it said. in their Facebook feed with no audio, they're in. You know what I've always said, Dave? What's that? The darker the whore, the brighter the flame. <laughs> Do you just have a list of uh, quotes in front of you? No, I just I'm, pu- I'm pulling these out of my head. These are pulls. God, these are deep pulls. Good. And they're, they're pertinent. Good. They're pertinent. I love it. All right. Well, we're going to hear a lot of those through this episode. Um, no, I'm we- done. That's it. That's, all I got. <laughs> that's the end of it. No more. And that's a wrap. <laughs> and done. <laughs> why don't we just jump in since we're okay. uh having so much fun here why don't we jump in with your first puzzle that's what this is Andy. that's what this is okay so i'm gonna start one with one that um is funny enough i don't know if you plan on doing this movie soon but uh it has this movie has actually a remake that's getting ready to come out or for all i know it might actually be out right now but and I'm not sure if it's any good or not. It would be really hard for it to top the original, which was one of the greatest horror movies ever men, made. Uh, and mine is uh, Dario Argento's masterpiece, 1977, Suspiria, which is just an incredible um, mix of of uh, of sort of that very unsettling type of horror and suspense that right. it's it's there are gross out elements i suppose but they're almost beside the point um a lot of the tonality is very similar throughout um uh suspiria again the 1977 version i don't know if you've heard anything about the new version that came out just recently or is coming out but um i've heard it's great i've heard yeah i've heard i've heard, really, I've heard good really things just generally wait. kind of good things i mean very very ambitious task to take on remaking oh, that yeah. movie some movies are <laughs> pretty legendary movie um, yeah, right. so that would be my first, uh, my, my first piece would be the 1970, 1977's Suspiria. Yeah, it's a good one. And like a lot of, uh, classic horror, I know I've seen it, but it was back in high school and I have vague memories of it, but I remember the feeling of it and like the tone of it. And absolutely. I mean, you've got that real creepiness to a lot of this movie, uh, even when it's not, you know, 
like going insane with horror or anything like that even in like the dramatic moments it's still there's like this air of just creepiness to it like right from the beginning Suspiria was one of those movies where if you like if you were kind of nerdy or if if you were like me and you had like one foot in nerddom through like mm-hmm. middle school and high school the like the older nerdy guy would show you this movie and be like oh you don't know right. about this movie like the guy who's like maybe in like 11th grade when you're in like ninth grade or something he'd be like oh yeah let me show you this movie you don't even you don't even know because this is nothing that i feel, you I feel just... like you're doing the you're doing the mark maron thing right now you're like who are your oh, guys really? you know <laughs> <laughs> what are my guys here? those are one of my guys i got guys um no for sure i remember there being guys that worked not at like not at blockbuster but at like the independent video stores right right who yeah, were two absolutely. or three years older than me and w- would make recommendations to me and i know that it was a little bit of a like perverse pleasure on their part because they knew i was only 12 and 13 and they were giving me like fucked up ass movies sure but it was also sort of like looking out for the next generation like hey kid you're really gonna like this and yeah. um you know and that was this movie that was the way that you know if you're somebody our age this is that's the way you encountered this this movie because it's obviously it's i mean this movie's from before before we were born so yeah you know um, well you need, anyway, you need those movie. kind of people yeah you need those kind of people in your life because they they introduce you to stuff especially if you're like me and you don't have like an older brother or something like that you know, yeah, you I know. like people. what are they replaced by now like algorithms like do you just get told yeah, you should so. watch Suspiria by like your hulu algorithm like how do you how do you stumble upon great shit like that these days Some brings up a whole bigger existential question yeah, yeah, yeah. Podcasts, Twitter. Well, how about you, Dave? What do you got? Yeah, speaking speaking of of those people, I guess I wasn't even going to mention this, but uh, uh, I had that for when I first saw Army of Darkness, and a guy at a video store told me that, oh, this is actually the third one of Evil Dead. Uh, so I'm going to go with the entire Evil Dead series, um, especially okay. Army of Darkness and Evil Dead Two, but really the whole series. Um, of course, uh, not all of Mandy is, uh, insane over the top horror, but certainly the second half is, and it's, it's that, that brand of horror that is just totally gory, totally ridiculous. Not like it's creepy, but it's not necessarily scary. It's more just awesome. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, uh, you know how much I love those movies. So of course it was one of the first things I thought of. And it's a little bit of a cheat because at the screening I, I saw, they did a, um, a, uh, a live Q and a with, with, uh, uh, Panos Cosmatos and Nicholas Cage and also Linus Roach. And, uh, and that was one of the movies he brought up as being one of his biggest influences. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I specifically steered clear in my notes of, of that whole franchise. Cause I knew that you were going to, you would yeah, right. have, you know, just <laughs> just dibs on that generally. Just give them that. So I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that that one is pretty, I mean, particularly, I think, you know, you didn't really get into, uh, you didn't really, I don't, I don't think you really have to, but for the benefit of those who haven't seen the movie, um, the, I would say the element that is, is the, the most derivative or the, the most influence have to be the protagonist and the makeup of the, uh, not not the physical makeup, but although actually, yeah, there were movies where Bruce Campbell spent the whole movie with blood all over his face. So oh, yeah, maybe the actual yeah. makeup too. But I mean, like the, the the character construction. Remember, like the first two movies, the first two Evil Dead. I mean, Bruce Campbell was really sort of just a um, 
just a, a void of a character. He was like, there wasn't really much to him except the things that sure. happened to him. Well, yeah, the first one specifically. He didn't have a lot of agency. Absolutely. And, yeah. and then as, as they started going more comedy, it just, he started getting to be more of a, uh, almost a yeah. Three Stooges-like character. Yeah, where, a, wise, a wise acre. He, a real wise yeah. acre. Yes, he was. Absolutely. And by the end of like the second or third season or whatever it was of um of uh, Ash versus Evil Dead, he's just he's a complete he's a complete joke character. He's like a, a, yeah. a, a pratfall. But Absolutely. yeah, for the first for the first two movies, he was very much just, you know, a vessel like for for things to happen, a conduit for, you know, the supernatural events and kind of a stand in for the audience of like, what would you do? You know, right. and uh, yeah, things like that. And it's so, funny yeah. with Nicolas Cage's performance specifically, um, he kind of rides a line between being that, between being this like ridiculous Nicolas Cage character, but he also, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of depth to him as well. I mean, you really kind of like the insane, uh, you know, bathroom scene that we just did those uh, hashtag Mandy challenge videos uh, <laughs> impersonating, which I hope you do one soon. Um, uh, but yeah. in that scene, despite it you being so crazy, I mean, wide angle lens for that one. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, despite it being so crazy, you really feel for him too. I mean, he really, you know, there, there actually is a lot of emotion to it as well. It's not just crazy Nicolas Cage. Well, you know, and that's funny too, because as long as we're talking about Nick Cage in this, in the role of this, um, you know, as a protagonist, I, I, I think, um, it, it this this doesn't this isn't one of my pulls this isn't one of my pieces or anything like that but i did mm-hmm. read where he he modeled the role the this um you know red miller role off of uh two other actors you know who again are most famous for roles where things happen to them and i, I know that's kind of the definition of a protagonist but like Things happen to them, and they're forced to just react and fight back. Right, and that is no, that um, makes sense. Yeah, and those two characters were Bruce Lee. Those two actors were Bruce Lee and uh, Charles Bronson. So, oh, like yeah, those yeah. were, and 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 of course, those are two characters who their roles that they're most fam- famous for were roles where they're sort of an everyman who has a darker side to him or a more powerful side to him, and is sort of forced into action. So sure, uh, you know. no, that makes a lot of sense. All right, well, uh, what what's your next? Yeah, what's your next puzzle piece? So my next puzzle piece was um, uh, still in the um in the seventies. I'm going with 1975's Tommy, which uh, for those who who don't remember that or maybe have never seen that awesome movie, it's the uh the movie adaptation of like the the whole, the Who album of the same name and uh, specifically the the track Pinball Wizard and um, very trippy psychedelic '70s movie, uh, starring mm. Roger Daltrey and Keith Moon, and and um, oh gosh, uh, directed by Ken Russell, and it had a lot of the same elements. It was brighter, but it was it, it was brighter in in its tone and and its look and feel and the cinematography. But you know, the the subject matter and the approach to it was very stark and also very dark. And if you remember yeah. what it was about was a, a a kid who was handicapped and was stuck inside of himself because of a ghastly thing that he'd seen his 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 uh mother and and a man doing um you know it's a terrible you know traumatizing moment from his childhood and uh so I felt like it looked it it, it evoked a lot of the same emotions um as uh as as mandy 
And uh, it was, again, it was driven by a different type of music, but they were both musically driven. So right. I don't, you and I no, went absolutely. and saw Tommy one time in, um, in uh, the yeah, 75 Cent Cinemas. Yeah, yep, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I, I love this, this puzzle piece here because um, I remember like catching up on a lot of the more like, you know, trippy, psychedelic type movies that you always hear about that maybe I had seen like back in high school and didn't remember too well, or maybe some of them I hadn't seen at all. And the one that stood out the most to me as the craziest was Tommy. I, I loved that uh, so much. Yeah. It was like such a trip and so just cool. It's so unique. Yeah, and kind of terrifying too at the same time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that's a, that's a perfect lead into my next puzzle piece, actually, which is uh, heavy metal album covers. Um, this no, is actually the second time. It's a genre. Yeah. Exactly. I've used this before, actually, on, on the podcast, and I wish I hadn't because it's even more so on this one. Um, but uh, heavy metal album covers, that th- this is those come to life in such a big way, in such a hugely colorful way. So much fog machines <laughs> being put to use and just such uh, destruction within the, the environment and such like crazy cool colors and all. I mean, it it really goes really along with what you were just saying there with Tommy as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't a really big heavy metal guy growing up, but it was always sort of like adjacent. And um, this was a, a, a movie that had so many influences that weren't necessarily cinematic, but they were more yeah. sort of cultural. And Absolutely. there was, yeah, exactly. And I think too, there was an entire sort of subgenre of Grindhouse that was. Um, like heavy metal style it was like it was it was definitely you know driven by the by the heavy metal sort of music and and it it informed a lot of the um it informed a lot of the uh uh sort of the art of it or the aesthetic i guess and sure. um yeah so um uh, that's a really good one yeah awesome what would your uh, next puzzle piece be so my next one is going to be a little on the nose specifically trying to find see i've been thinking about like what the name of nicholas cage's weapon was and i thought it mm-hmm. was called the batleth which is actually something from star trek um the 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 sword that the um that klingons use i'm not a big trek or anything like that so i'm sure you're gonna get people <laughs> complaining maybe some of your co-hosts complaining that i'm, mis- I'm mispronouncing that but that's not <laughs> what it's from it's actually that weapon that he makes is from 1983 sci-fi classic you know action flick crawl i don't know if you remember crawl or not or if you ever even saw sure. it. <laughs> yeah it's been a million years since i've seen yeah. that but yeah absolutely. for sure uh <laughs> yeah so this one is a little like i said on the nose it's not super imaginative i'm not drawing a lot of metaphorical um connections between this movie and that it's just one very str- i mean like there's not a more powerful visual than the than the um forging of that weapon in this movie and and that's like <laughs> you know kind of the the literary turn of the movie where things change sure. in that moment. He goes from being sort of a helpless character to being, you know, a force of nature at the moment where he, um, he finishes uh, forging that, that weapon. And, um, you know, the weapon is sort of a centerpiece for a lot of the movie. And uh, yeah. So crawl 1983 awesome. directed by uh, Peter Yates starring Ken Marshall and, <laughs> underrated for its time underrated yeah Did not perform well yeah no, i re- i i remember it being like 
like such just like a just a crazy great movie. Also, um, it goes really well with my previous one, heavy metal album covers, because I'm I'm like almost certain there were bands holding Kroll swords like for sure <laughs> on yeah. album covers in the '80s, <laughs> which is so ridiculous but so great. Uh, all right, well, my next puzzle piece then um it's a uh, it's a combo here, and that is 300 and Sin City, and that is just. Generally, you could kind of plug in any overly stylized movie. Um, I think this, I mean, at the time, you know, I don't really look back on on uh, 300 as much. Sin City, I still think, looks awesome. 300 looks cool, but I mean, it kind of a little dated. Um, but I, in the same way, though, that I was blown away back then by those movies, I, I was blown away by the visuals of this movie. Um, I feel like we could talk for an hour alone on just just how crazy beautiful this movie is with all of those colors and the way that it's shot, the cinematography, um, everything about the look of it is just, just so memorable and cool. Yeah. And I think that um, it's, it's unapologetic in a way where it says it's challenging and it's not going to be, you know, I was reading recently and I'm sure that you saw this too about how some directors some directors that you really like i think it was i don't remember exactly who but i think i know paul thomas anderson was one maybe it was wes anderson was the other one i forget who but they said that they're basically going to uh begin this war against the factory settings on televisions oh yeah 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 and um i I don't know if it was exactly those two i know paul thomas anderson it it was paul thomas anderson and christopher nolan christopher nolan yeah okay so um and that makes sense too because you know for certain directors who are sort of unapologetic about the kind of style that they're trying to convey that's annoying to to have to not to be able to not have control of the um the ultimate delivery side of where your product comes out and this is a movie where the director said if you if 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 i'm not apologizing for the way that this is going to look because if you consume the product right you're gonna love it and he's right i mean it looks great and it's it's a little unsettling in terms of like like kind of accustoming like you know getting yourself used to the way that the movie looks and kind of placing yourself in that world but once you do Mm -hmm. it's like such a warm like gooey world to be in you know and it's like oh you know yeah feels like you're like you're just an observer inside of a crazy um, different place that only sort of runs parallel to reality, but isn't reality. This is kind of putting you on the spot, but do you have any specific standout like moment that you were just like, "Holy shit!" When you know when you saw it kind of unfolding. Um. So I loved the first real extended fight scene with Nicolas Cage, which was inside of the house where the dungeon oh was God, underneath, yeah. uh, where he was being kept in the basement dungeon. Um, yeah, the first time he snuck up on the uh, on the uh, the sort of the pinhead sort of looking dude. Um, yeah, the that was sitting who was sitting on the couch and watching television, and uh, he pr- proceeded to just like snap his neck, Bruce Lee style. That was <laughs> it was great because it it let you know like what you were in for for the rest of the movie. Um, That's awesome. Uh, that would probably be that, that that entire sequence leading out to the um, the the last sort of rider of the apocalypse that he fought out there in the uh you know the horseman or whatever that he fought yeah yeah outside you know in the exterior shots where he where he he fought him next to the burning car 
Um, mm -hmm. That whole sort of unbroken sequence right there from him regaining consciousness in the in the basement through him killing the last one of those um those four horsemen was oh, yeah. just ex exquisite it was great so cool um my, my How about you? mine would actually be the opposite end of the spectrum which is funny enough because you know I love you know the gore stuff and all that but um mine is actually there was an overhead shot on the water of of the uh, little boat and it was like yeah. slowly, slowly zooming in on the boat. And yeah. the waves, they almost made like a, uh, almost like a fractal-like shape to them mm. where they, they didn't yeah. even really, it almost looked like you took a little piece of the wave and then just pasted it one after another over the whole screen. Um, and it was just so like mind-boggling just looking at it. And like, I was like so in at that moment, you know? There was another Pretty scene wild. that I thought was really great where that was that was just really well done and it was quick, but it was just the um the sort of whip around shot uh exterior in the woods after Nick Cage has shot the first member uh of the, the you know the sort of trailing uh mm. motorcycle yeah. gang bicycle um uh you know guy, the villain, and he hops in his truck and it should be like a furious race scene, but instead, uh, Cosmatos kind of pulls back and yeah. has like and gives you like the longer view of the sort of the road, you know, this this sort of treacherous, windy road that Cage has to speed down in his truck. And, you know, any any false turn and he could go flying off the road. Um, sure. And instead of making it like a thrashing, you know, against the clock car, uh, car scene chase or anything like that, he kind of pulls back. And shows you the the yeah. entirety of the woods, and and gives you like the kind of by doing that he kind of grounds you in space, and is like, okay, this is where he is, where the bad guy is, and what's happening, and you know that which makes it even more um, satisfying when when you know Cage <laughs> hits him in the car and it doesn't even <laughs> make a dent in the guy, so uh, <laughs> which which is like great. It kind of it's a great setup for that, you know. Oh yeah. So good. All right. Well, uh, what's your next puzzle piece? Um, so my my next puzzle piece is my final one, and it's a uh, it's similar to Tommy, um, except specifically, I, I, this is one that I think a lot of young people like me. If you were watching it with like, <laughs> if like your stoner parents left it on TV, um, and and you saw it, you remember the the thing that stuck out to you about it was the the animation, and uh, mm. mine is nineteen eighty two's The Wall. Uh, directed by nice. Alan Parker, the Pink Pink Floyd's The Wall, I think, is the official name of the of the movie, um, right. starring Bob Geldor, uh, Geldord and uh, Geldorf, and um, it was written by Roger Waters of Pink Floyd. So, uh, trippy movie again, similar to Tommy, probably even less, <laughs> even less of a plot, but more of a um, more of an allegory, or more of like a sort of a a a, a, a a morality tale or maybe an anti-morality tale. Um, but I'm talking about just the specifically like a lot of the animated elements felt a lot like the sort of animated breaks in dreamland that we would get um, during, uh, during Mandy. Sure. Yeah. No, Do you remember that, the wall or no? 
That's a good one. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually another one we saw at uh, Tropicana Cinemas. Yeah, we saw that too. <laughs> we, we must have seen a lot of those like trippy classic movies there. Yeah, just stoned out of our minds. We must have just yeah. been like, <laughs> exactly just demolished <laughs> in college college years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we should uh, add that yeah. as a uh, little disclaimer: our college years. <laughs> yeah, college years. Anything that we saw in our college years, we probably don't really remember that well. <laughs> nice so that yeah no that that's a really great one um you know i just wanted to mention real quick when i said 300 in sin city another one i wanted to mention i forgot to say is drive uh that's an, another one that goes in with with those two uh for just that like heavily stylized also a lot of red in that one um which is a lot of red and mandy as well in the the coloration of it um but I, don't I will go with my well. next puzzle I, piece. I saw it, but I don't remember it very well. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, more than anything, the score stands out. I mean, it's, you know, one of the best scores. It's not of, a re- like, the last you know what? Drive's, Drive's not a rewatch movie. Drive's not a go back and watch it a bunch of times movie. Never was for me either. Yeah. Uh, I've certainly listened to the music more than I've watched the movie just that one time. Yeah. Um, but all What's right, my, my next puzzle piece is... Um, and this is this one is kind of weird because it's more of a setup uh, for a quick little aside conversation I wanted to have with you. Um, and it, what it is, it's basically every revenge, revenge. Ah, let me redo that. <laughs> revenge thriller, uh, like Death Wish, John Wick. You know all those kind of movies. This is, you know, at its core, it's basically that. If you were to describe it to someone, is that, but you know, on acid or whatever. And, you know, drenched with, you know, all kinds of colors and incredible score and everything. Um, But what I wanted to, you know, see is, do you think there is more to it than a a revenge thriller? What do you think it is that (sighs) Panos Cosmatos is getting at with this movie aside from that? See, I feel like this might be one of those situations where... It might be a, a sort of a Coen Brothers thing where people like me and you read depth into it, even sure. though there yeah. isn't. And, and it's designed to look like something that has depth, even though yeah. it's not. Um, I recently rewatched another movie that's kind of like that. Another movie that a lot of people think is like super brilliant and really smart, but in reality is... Not, I don't think it's really that brilliant. It's just a very, very good movie. But people think it's like a, uh, uh, you know, like a, it's it's like a, a skeleton key for figuring out the universe or something like that, and give it mm-hmm. more credibility. And that's Memento, which was a great revenge movie. Um, and right. at the end of Memento, if for spoiler alert, if you didn't watch Memento, I mean, you've had fucking <laughs> eighteen years now to watch it. But um, if, if you haven't watched it yet, you're not going to. But at the end of Memento, it turns out that his thirst for vengeance has actually been leading him down this fucked up path where he's killing all these people. And, uh, you know, we're led to believe he's basically being used as a tool by, by people with, you know, unsavory agendas to, 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 to commit murder. I don't see an extra element like that in Mandy. Um, there's something about the era where it's happening, where it's sort of this, like, early 80s Reagan uh, America where normality is on the top of everything is sort of on the exterior or on the uh, there's like a sheen of 
normality to everything in America, but like just under the surface, there's twisted, demented, horrible shit. And sure, yeah. um, I think if there's anything he's, he was trying to say, uh, or any kind of statement he was trying to make about that, it was it was some commentary on that. It was some commentary on like people, and he he actually kind of says it. If you uh, if he he does have, you know, but yeah, take, you can take you can. I don't know if you want to if you want to say that this was um the this was Cosmatos being um being like giving a an homage to this character but there is it bears noting in a 2018 movie there is a magical negro in this movie and um <laughs> and I, I don't know if that's him parodying the concept of a magical negro but th- there absolutely is one and that character delivers a few uh contextual lines pieces of uh, of of exposition that let us know that things aren't all that they seem there's this twisted underbelly of this area in the Pacific Northwest where they're living, um, and it's yeah. getting worse, uh, which is another sort of Coen Brothers trope or theme of like encroaching evil. Bad things sure. are getting worse quietly under the noses of, of, and that's something that runs through all the Coen Brothers work. Um, oh, yeah, sort of absolutely. Unspoken badness or evil that's that's encroaching or that's growing every day. And sure, good yeah, men yeah. that can't do anything but fight against it in the face of like long odds. So I don't know though. I didn't. I felt like the movie also tried really hard to stay away from stuff like that and to just say this is a, a smash bang, you know, north south, like point A to point B movie. Um, sure. I don't know. What did you think? I when I first watched it, I definitely just thought that. You know, that it's just an exercise in in making a crazy movie. Um, But you know me, I do love, like you said, like with the Coen brothers and stuff, I love looking for those extra meanings. I mean, I arrived at one on my own and then another that I read elsewhere. And then I ended up reading something pretty similar to the one that I had thought of on my own um, while just kind of like thinking about the movie for the last couple of weeks. Uh, The one that I thought of at first that I ended up reading elsewhere um, was basically about um, <laughs> the universe doesn't care about your grief, basically, and how as soon yeah. as the grief starts to hit him is when everything just goes insane, where up until that point, you know, life, you know, it could have been good, you know what I mean? But then something happens, and he is not going to get to grieve in any meaningful way. He's going to... Right you know, everything is going to go insane at that point. Um, that, that was the first one. And then the other one, this one is, is certainly, uh, I, I, I certainly doubt it, but I, I thought it was interesting though. I just wanted to mention it. Um, was that everything that's happening is Mandy's art that she's drawing. Um, you know, she's mm-hmm. obviously into heavy metal. She's obviously into dark stuff. Yeah. Um, she, you know, from the look of the character even, I mean, she, she looks like someone who has a dark past, you know, and who would come up with dark, crazy art. And she is an artist, we know that from the movie, and that everything we're seeing is basically, you know, some stand-in for the art that she's making, um, which I thought was, was pretty interesting. And it, it works in a lot of ways, I think. Um, but again, li- like you were saying, I, I don't know if I want necessarily for these alternate meanings to to be accurate or if I want it to just be an insane Nicolas Cage vehicle, 
But, uh, you know, I, I, I love looking into those things, though. Well, there's, you know, what's funny is like the revenge movie as a genre has been bad lately. Like there yeah. was the Bruce, the Bruce Willis remake of Death Wish, which was fucking atrocious. Um, <laughs> and then there was the, uh, the for, I, I'm not going to go see this, but the, um, uh, what is it? Not Jessica Beale. Who's the other one? The, oh, the, yeah, yeah. What I, is it? Peppermint, Peppermint Girl or whatever Peppermint, that, that movie I, was called? I, I walked out of it. Yeah, it was so. Yeah, bad. it was it, it, it's so, so terrible. And I mean. I don't know, like it just this this shows that it the genre can be done well. It, it it never hurts when somebody doesn't take the genre too seriously, which I think is the key to a lot of genre filmmakers these days is that they have to be willing to um uh, kind of poke fun a little bit and be a little uh you know at the like at the same time that they're reverential of their genre, they also have to be able to take it down a peg and, and make fun of it and laugh at themselves a little bit and sure. go over the top um, to make good, you know, to make good versions of it. It, it. It's when that imagination isn't there that you end up with shit like Peppermint or you end up yeah. with shit like Death Wish, you know, and it's just this like this, this like slog through some fucking. Yeah. Unless you get you Keanu know, Reeves, don't try a straightforward revenge movie. On TV, the shit is the shit right now is um is Walking Dead, or I guess that's kind of over now. But like three or four It'll years ago, <laughs> yeah, no, I know it won't ever actually be over. They'll just keep doing it until like forever, which is a hilarious sort of um it's a hilarious analogy considering the subject matter of the show that it's sure. like about zombie dead shit and the entire fucking interest and in like anything compelling about that show is dead, but it's somehow still just draws in 10 million people a week and they just so they just have to keep it on the air um but uh like same thing right it is just it's torture porn it's just like look at the fucked up things happening to these people doesn't it make you think about how we live in a society you know like that kind of shit and it's just so boring you know but then you come out with something like mandy and it's like yeah fuck yeah okay i can get behind this and maybe yeah. there's a deeper meaning i don't know but Maybe. that sword is dope. Yep, the sword is pretty damn dope. <laughs> I, w I wanted to do uh, one more puzzle piece before I uh, uh, do our. I'll give you one. Puzzle. I'll break up. I'll break up your. I'll break up your 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 uh, okay. your two puzzle pieces with one of mine. Um, that sort of is a, a a late realization as you were talking about this genre. I was thinking of sure. what my favorite genre of revenge movies. What uh, my favorite movie in the genre of revenge is, and I have to go with Old Boy, which I feel like. The original old boy, uh, which right. I feel like has so much in common with this movie. The protagonists are similar. They're broken men, and they're almost like fighting through through their own pain, you know, versus they're not even really fighting the people that they're fighting. They're just fighting their own um, sort of abject misery. And <laughs> I think that's cool. And I like that. And old boy was a fucking incredible movie. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, crazy movie, too. <laughs> so that certainly uh, rides that kind of crazy line that Mandy is. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, my, my last puzzle piece then, um, which is a, another genre, actually. Um, and you kind of started to touch on it earlier, but I wanted to expand it a little bit. And that is Grindhouse movies, basically. Grindhouse, late midnight cinema, you know, that kind of stuff. 
Um, also, shout out to Chad Clinton Freeman, Polygrind movies um, from his Polygrind Film Festival. But uh, all those kinds of just really crazy independent movies that uh, push the envelope in all kinds of wild ways that you would never see in a traditional mainstream movie. Um, obviously, this movie got a very limited release in theaters. Uh, but man, I wish more people could see it in theaters because I mean, it's such an experience and a lot of those kind of movies don't get big theatrical releases. I mean, at least not nowadays, certainly back in the, the heyday of grindhouse movies, but, uh, the movies that try to do that now don't really get those, those releases. Um, but it's great to seek them out and yeah. Yeah. And that's too bad too, because this is a movie that I think could do well in a larger audience. You know what? If this movie was like, if, 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 if Mandy had some sort of like DC tie in where it was like one of the characters was like <laughs> in a limited release, like late eighties, Frank Miller graphic novel or something like that. Right. Then people right. would be like a billion people would go to it if it was the exact yeah. same movie, but there had been like, I don't know, like John Romita jr. Had done like a, a, you know, a Marvel story arc about it. in like, in like, 1991 or something right then right. It, it, i mean like literally no that's way they're doing the mandy yeah exactly <laughs> that's just the way that the the economy of these of this thing of, of this the ecosystem of of the film industry is now is like you are coming out with a with original ip and you're immediately behind the eight ball yeah like right away uh, absolutely you're you're you, if, if, unless you have a hook in some book or some TV series, or some existing IP, or you're like, I mean, like, when I think of the, the fucking, I was reading the other day about how, and I didn't even know this had happened, but apparently they were starting, um, I don't remember the studio, maybe it was Warner Brothers, but somebody was starting a, the, one, of the, one of the studios was starting with that horrible Tom Cruise mummy movie, they were going to start <laughs> a universe of like old school um, villains, right, like mummy, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, and that was a plan, and it was abandoned. They had to it, that that one movie was so bad that they junked all the other ones and the whole universe that they were planning. And I just think of all the energy and resources that could have gone into something like Mandy, something interesting, something that was original, but it just wouldn't have a perch, right? It just wouldn't have a a, a spot in the cultural zeitgeist to come out and you know uh, and inject itself into the conversation. So Absolutely. that's, I think that's a real fatal flaw in the way that we're doing movies these days. It is, it is, it's a shame, but, uh, you know, at least there are these companies like Legion M who, uh, distributed this and then, uh, you know, the A24 and, and Neon and there's companies that are putting, you know, some risk taking movies out there and, you know, hopefully, hopefully it continues. Hopefully we get more of them. Hopefully we get some more crazy stuff. Assassination Nation is in theaters this weekend. I hear it's, uh really crazy and great and uh original i'm hoping to do an episode on that soon um but before i get on that tangent let's do the finished puzzle um the movies that we discussed were suspiria heavy metal album covers uh tommy the evil dead series Kroll, 300 sin city drive and other highly stylized movies the wall death wish john wick uh and other revenge movies also, you mentioned Old Boy, and then uh, Grindhouse movies as a genre. So that is our finished puzzle, and uh, we can 
wrap this thing up by talking about how much uh, I freaking love this movie, and I think you did too, right? Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. But from the very first um, trailer that I saw of this movie, yeah, you, you were going nuts it about it. You could. I was wait sold. For it. I was like, "This movie looks <laughs> fucking great." I watched the yeah. trailer like in a drive-through line on my phone at Starbucks, <laughs> and I mean, like, I was just like, "This movie looks fucking dope," and yeah. uh, it did not disappoint at all. Yeah, I was worried about it because. Um, you know, Nicolas Cage, I love him. I mean, obviously, he's the star of my favorite movie adaptation. I, I love Nicolas Cage. Um, but over the last, you know, decade or so, not only has he not really had a lot of great movies, but, you know, every few years you'll hear, oh, the, the new craziest Nicolas Cage at his, you know, fullest Nicolas Cage is coming out. Yeah. And everybody thinks it's so great. And I watch it and I'm like, you know, yeah, he's crazy in a couple scenes, but it's just a terrible movie. And yeah. so I was well, worried it was going to be that. The, like, he's he's doing he's been for the longest time now on the like the the you know um, bad financial decisions train where he has right, to right. just he has to do like he has to knock out like a solid three or four like weird you know direct to DVD uh, direct to Blu-ray Bible movies or whatever to, just to. <laughs> You know, just to keep the goons from Caesar's Palace coming over his house and breaking his <laughs> knees because of his gambling losses and shit. That's so, right. Yeah. You know, he's got all he's got a weird life going on. Every everything that you do when you judge Nicolas Cage, you have to do it again. His body of work, you have to do it against that. You have to do it against that backdrop. There was a Absolutely. great basketball player named, um, uh, well, I mean, like anybody who knows basketball knows who Scottie Pippen is, but. Um, you might not because you don't know anything about sports. Scotty Pippen is, was is that guy from that NBA Jam video game, right? Yes, he was in the NBA Jam video game. So Scotty Pippen was <laughs> a guy who was probably like one of the three or four best players in his position ever in the NBA. Had like these weird um time frames in his contract where he was always like right behind the next collective bargaining agreement. So he would always get these shitty contracts. He also played on the same team as Michael Jordan, so he always like kind of got like shafted. But he, you know, in terms of pay, but um, mm-hmm. he was legitimately one of the best players in the NBA and had great numbers, you know, great statistics. But later in his career, he played very late, later than he he probably should have retired a solid four years before he did. Um, and he during those four years where he should have been retired. He was putting up really shitty numbers. He was doing like bad year after bad year after bad year. So now you look at his career stats and they don't look that great because he has those like bad years mixed in there. But if you just ignore those bad years, he had one of the all time great careers. Uh, And that's Nicolas Cage. Ignore the bad shit because a lot of it was just done for money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's so true. I mean, that from the beginning of his career up through. Man, like, two th- well, basically through Kick-Ass, really. That was kind of the yeah. last great thing. And then from that point forward, you know, if you just kind of ignore everything after that point, although Army of One was really good. Uh, that's the one uh, bright spot. But, um, but yeah, I- I'm glad he's in a great movie again, though. I'm so glad. And, uh, Nicholas Cage has, has, yeah. a, has an incredible ability and understanding to know what the movie that he's in is like he knows yeah, sure. what movie he's in and he's like and i think a lot of other people you know 
direct uh, uh, actors and, and and other talented people, they they probably have a tendency, I think, to exalt what they what like. Uh, there's a lot of people who probably were in that that weird like uh, to the movie where like the rapture happens and he's the last one of the last people left on the planet. And, you know, like there were probably like the, yeah. the next like eight or nine uh, names in billing underneath him probably thought like, oh, this is my big break. I have to like be a serious actor. Right. I have to be like a true thespian in this role. Nicolas Cage in that movie knew exactly what the movie was. And he had no <laughs> illusions about it. He was like, this is some dumbass movie that I'm getting paid, you know, $1.5 million to be in. Fuck it. You know, like I'm going to I'm going to give it. million worth of effort. And he knew exactly what that movie was. And, um, you know, and that works badly, right? That cuts against him in those shitty movies. He is shitty. And it also works for him because he, you could tell, was very excited to work with this director and Mandy. And he put a lot into this movie. And um, I don't know what he got paid for it, but I don't imagine it was that much. This is not a major studio movie. So, but he really he knew that this was a great role and he fucking poured a lot into it. And I'm glad he did. Cause it's awesome. Um, good do you movie. want to, uh, plug anything before we wrap this thing up? Nope. No, nothing. You can follow <laughs> me on Twitter at, uh, Jake Tapper. I, I was hoping you might maybe be interested in plugging something about our other podcast. Nope. <laughs> all right like if you have to if you have to if you absolutely have to go to um your podcast player it doesn't matter which one it could be any of them and look for bird road podcast uh and then just mash on that subscribe button Mm-hmm. Um, and then what you're going to want to do after that is like it'll subscribe you to the podcast and then you're going to want to download an episode mm-hmm. you can download any of them there's like 40 and uh, yeah we'll have a new episode starting October 1st we took September there off you go. It's there you go a that's what I was looking it's for. a decision I stand by um, it was the right decision <laughs> I got to agree with uh, that yeah. so check out right Bird Road decision, but I'm excited to do more episodes hopefully next week we're going to be doing it so can't wait. That hopefully <laughs> sounds very passive aggressive. <laughs> hopefully just slipped out. I didn't mean it, but I mean maybe I kind of did. I don't know. <laughs> low key, low key shape. <laughs>
try to see it in a theater. It's absolutely worth it. But if you can't, then it's on on demand now. I just bought it on Vudu. Um, but you can get it on most of the on demand services. Check out Legion M on Facebook if you want to get more information. Uh, it's absolutely a movie worth uh, checking out. It's crazy. Um, but with that being said, uh, I also hope that you enjoyed our previous episode earlier this week uh, that we did on The Predator, which is a uh, different kind of ridiculous, but um, (laughs) go listen to that one. You'll hear it was a really fun episode. And also, if you haven't, uh, make sure to get involved with the hashtag Mandy Challenge. If you go on uh, Facebook or Twitter, you'll see uh, I did it and so did uh, Ryan Darty. We did... A recreation of the Nicolas Cage bathroom scene from Mandy, and we invite you all to get involved and do that as well. Um, or don't, because it's completely stupid and ridiculous, but I think it's pretty funny. So anyway, I want to remind you all, please make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on all the podcast apps. Wherever you listen to podcasts, get subscribed. And also share us, uh, comment, like, follow, all those things. I don't know. Uh, We're on social media at PiecingPod, and you can join our Facebook group, Piecing It Together, a movie discussion group. So with that said, I believe we'll be recording two more episodes this week. I don't know if we'll put them both up uh, next week or just one or what we're going to do. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But uh, I will be talking to you guys again soon. And uh, I'm going to leave you with a piece of music. I tried to pick one that uh, fell in line with Johan Johansson's score, which I just realized I don't think we discussed during the episode. And I made a big note to discuss it because I was always a huge fan of Johan Johansson. Um, I love his scores as a film music composer myself. He's definitely one of my favorite composers. And of course, we lost him earlier this year. He passed away uh, very suddenly. And I think he was only like 50 something. Um, It's terrible. But Mandy was the last score he completed. And wow, did he go out on top. What an incredible score this movie has. Um, it's at times metal influence, just like the movie itself, but then at times just absolutely beautiful. Um, I actually ordered it on vinyl, which, uh, there's this really cool vinyl package that's coming out. Um, but it's an incredible score. Uh, Johan Johansson's an incredible composer. He left behind a, a lot of great work. And, uh, I tried to, uh, come up with a piece of my music that I felt was most in line with his score for this movie to close out this episode. Um, of course, I'm not trying to compare myself, but at the same time, I think it's kind of in the same vein. Uh, this is a track called Crystallize. <laughs>
and all points west.